Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Full and welcome to another one. Thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelancer is supported by Free Agent, the award-winning cloud accounting software loved and trusted by over 60,000 freelancers and small businesses, myself included. If you want to claim your one-month free trial, head on over to freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for strategy consultant Jan Mikulin. The whole point of me working freelance and project-based is so that I can actually work on my own little side projects and ideas and gigs, which was actually a really smart way of doing it because it made me feel less desperate and also more interesting when you're talking to potential clients. While quite a lot of my business is conducted internationally and we do conversations via digital means, I really get more value out of in-person, face-to-face. Your positioning is really important. How you talk about yourself, how you frame yourself in comparison to your competition, but also in terms of putting the message across of who and what you are, is really freaking important. Yes, so there is Jan, who I'm looking forward to talking to. I met him at an event that I was speaking at. So I was doing this thing. Do you remember I did a blog post and a video about five ways to find your first freelance clients? If you didn't know that, you will find it at beingfreelance.com. If it sounds useful to you, please do go take a look and listen, uh, read, or watch, whatever. Anyway, I was doing the talk version of that blog post, if you like, for students who were interested in freelancing. And Jan was then, he was an excellent speaker, but he was also a very lovely chap. And we had a good laugh together. And I was really intrigued by the glimpses of his story, shall I say, because we didn't really get that much time to to chat about it too much. So I invited him on. So, yes, looking forward to speaking to Jan. As ever, you will find what he is up to at beingfreelance.com, as there are for all of our guests. Over 150 episodes. Please do go take a listen. Uh, Also, check out the videos, the vlog, where I document my freelance week, which is on YouTube, and also the articles, which hopefully you will find helpful, full of quotes that we pull out from the archives of being freelance and you can join us on twitter and instagram and of course the new facebook group as well so i was really keen to bring together everyone who listens to this and enjoys it who is freelancing all around the world basically i was getting so many nice emails and comments and i thought i i have conversations with you guys but you don't all get to speak to each other and we get don't get to sort of discuss things together because that's what i'm really keen for not just a place for to go and ask questions, so there, there is that element to it, but we're also doing extra video stuff and extra content and discussions around things which will help drive your business forward. So it's a bit of fun, but also it will help you as you continue your freelance career. And so I'm really excited about it. Please come and say hi. Join the Being Freelance group. There's a link, of course, at the website or just search for Being Freelance on Facebook and say hi. Right now, though, let's crack on and chat to this week's guest, freelance strategy consultant, Jan Mikulin. Hey, Jan. <laughs> hey, Steve. It almost made it sound like a little bit of a song there. Mikulin. <laughs> did, 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 did I overdo it? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I like it. I love the enthusiasm. It's good. I was trying so, so hard. Jan, thanks so much for doing this. How about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Oh, nice. And straight in. No foreplay, no nothing. I love it. Um, so... <laughs> no, I, hey, your name being pronounced correctly, that, that was the full play. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. I kind of, I fell into it, to be honest. It was one of those things. So I started out 
in marketing about 15 more than that years ago kind of as a, a byproduct of me wanting to be a superstar international dj and i realized i needed to build myself a little brand so that i could play all around the world and get paid big bucks and become famous you know all of which obviously came to pass um but i realized quite quickly that i was better at helping other people build their brands and businesses than i was at mine because you know mine was special and uh, the rules and laws of marketing and advertising did not apply to me because i was different you know because that's the way it works so spending all of that time and money to learn the information and then just ignore it all was uh, really smart i kind of i was almost bankrupt actually and then got to a point where i was like i actually need to find myself something different and a mate of mine was working at a really cool digital agency called Weapon 7. And he suggested that I go and speak to the, the owner and the chief strategy officer and have a little chat. And I fell into a little kind of two-week work placement, which then got turned into a six-month contract. And the kind of the freelance bug gig thing started from there. Interesting that, that you started there with a work placement. So was that an unpaid? Yeah, that was two weeks unpaid because I'd never done anything in marketing before. They recognized that I had a brain, but they didn't want to put themselves in any position where they had to pay me for something that they weren't sure what the output would be. And after the end of two weeks, they were like, yeah, we kind of want you to stay. So here's a six month contract. And that's that's how it panned out. And what happened at the end of that? Like as it was coming to the end of that first six months where you 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 going in and out of their office every day were you yeah pretty much pretty much i was i was on site so there was no sense of you know flexible working or remote working at that point we're going back we were years and towards it i hadn't really thought about it i just was like oh well at the end of six months i was just giving another contract right that's kind of how this is going to work and they actually didn't have the money or the budget to continue that contract so as soon as that finished I was left without anything. And that's when the reality of freelance really hit. Because before that, it was just kind of cool, you know, getting paid directly to me and all of that kind of stuff was pretty cool. And it's like, hmm, I actually need to find regular work. How does that work? So what did you do? <laughs> Panicked first. <laughs> um, and then started furiously thinking about places where I could actually work, interesting places that I'd heard about while I was at Weapon 7, asking the people with whom I'd worked at Weapon 7 whether they knew any other places, and asking Mark and Stephen, who were the uh, the, guy, the head guys at Weapon 7, if they knew anywhere and seeing if I could get a recommendation. It's the kind of stuff that actually is, when you think about it, is really common sense and really smart to do. But I was just, I was so panicked that I was just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what would fit. And actually, I kind of stumbled into a bit of a routine, which is now towards the end of a contract, I'll kind of get a sense of whether the contract might be extended. And if they know anyone else that might be looking for the kinds of skills that I can offer in case that contract isn't extended. So I started to build a bit of a, a system and a routine as a result of that. So it has been like your career going forward from that for however, I mean, you always kind of go years, but um, are we talking like 10 years? We're talking 12, yeah, 12 years. Okay, so about the past 12 years. So, so it, it tends to be like a contract-type job that, that you would go for. Mostly. I think what, what, I, what I like is to have a discrete focus for something that I do so that I know that I've completed it. Sometimes that's two weeks. Sometimes that's two months. And uh, one that I came out of a couple of years ago was meant to be two weeks, then it turned into four months, and then we ended up being working together for four and a half years, what I call permalance. So I was essentially 
a consultant for them for four and a half years, which um, was an interesting experience. Like working in that way, like did you find a pattern as to when to start marketing yourself or get that work, you know, like put the feelers out? Were there big gaps in between contracts? Like how, how did you get on? That's a good question. So I had got into a good rhythm before I took on this permalance thing. And I think, you know, after about eight months of being in the same place, I stopped doing the things that work, which is essentially just keep talking to people in your network and keep an eye on what's happening and remind people that you're available. That's kind of it. You know, you, you talk about your five key things and, and one of them being tell your network. After about five months, I was less and less telling my network because we all assumed that I was there and, you know, nothing was really changing. After eight months, I just stopped talking to people about other work because I was so focused on doing the work for the client that I had. And so at the end of four and a half years, I had to essentially start again about three, three years ago now, two years ago, three years ago, something like that. I had to start from scratch, essentially, and remind myself oh, yeah, I am actually freelance. Just because I've had a client for four and a half years does not stop me being freelance. Where the hell do I get work from? So that was the kind of started the uh, the process all over again. And what would be the biggest gap in between jobs that you had? Ten months. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. What starts to happen <laughs> as the, as the gap gets bigger and bigger? All sorts. It's interesting. So I do quite a lot of. I'm going to sound like a new age hippie, but I do quite a lot of personal development work. So looking at emotional states and psychological states and keeping yourself in peak state and state, state, state. And I always maintain a level of positivity and awareness that it will always work out, not necessarily in the time frame that I would like, and it will always work out. So I'm, I'm pretty good at making sure that I save money every month from the contracts that I have. I learned that lesson pretty early on. It's like, oh, all of this money, let me spend it. I need more money. Where do I get it from? Ah. So I generally tend to have unless I'm at the end of a 10-month break, I generally tend to have somewhere between six and 12 months worth of money like to pay bills and rent and stuff saved so that I can weather any of those storms. I'm sure I'm not the only one thinking, but what did you do in that 10 months? Like, yeah. Other than personal development. Like... <laughs> it depends, right? So I've, I've had two big breaks, one around nine months and one around, yeah, 10 months, nine and 10 months. You could have had a baby. What did you do? I could have, I could have, I could have done all sorts. I could have gone around the world. The first time I did it, the first nine month period, I was so focused on just getting work. I basically took those nine months as a permanent job for me to get work. And that was really quite stressful and actually counterproductive because I was coming across as desperate and needy, calling the same people in my list over and over and over again, hoping that they, you know, in the three hours that I hadn't spoken to them, that maybe they had a gig. So I was basically harassing freelance recruiters for most of that time and looking on LinkedIn and on the web for potential gigs and just treating getting work like my job. And then the, the, the most recent time where I had the 10 months, I decided I was going to do that differently. So I would spend half an hour each day in the morning, essentially either sending emails or calling people whom I had some connection with or building out a, a broader base. So in the nine month period before, I was calling the same people and over and over again. This time around, I did it differently. Or well, the most recent time around, I did it differently and was expanding my network each time so that I wasn't calling the same people over and over again. And I also built out a tracking system. So like a, a spreadsheet that told me who I'd spoken to, 
when I'd spoken to them, when they got back to me in a little spreadsheet. And that was it. So the first half hour to an hour of every day, Monday to Friday, I spent doing that. And the rest of the time, I actually spent either reading or working on different projects of my own. Because the whole point of me working freelance and project-based is so that I can actually work on my own little side projects and ideas and gigs. And so that's what I did, which was actually a really smart way of doing it because it made me feel less desperate and also more interesting when you're talking to potential clients, like what you want to, oh, I'm working on this thing of mine. And da, 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 da. So it makes it sound a lot more interesting and a lot more hireable. And in those two gaps, were there moments when something came along that wasn't perhaps quite what you were looking for and you were tempted to take it? Many a time. Many of my friends would say, well, it's, it's cash in hand. And my mum, oh my God, I've learned never to tell my mum what's really going on in my business. <laughs> She means really well and she loves me and I love her and I understand where she's coming from, but her frame of the world is so different to mine and she's so risk averse. It's like, but they've offered you work. Yeah, but it's, it's essentially tuppence halfpenny a day, mum. Yeah, but it's tuppence halfpenny, it's better than nothing. Well, what about the opportunity loss of me taking that job? You know, it's all of these kind of additional things that I'm factoring in every time. How does that position me? What does that do to my reputation? And also, I need to make sure that I am valued, right? I have a lot of experience and skill that adds value to a client. If I'm going in and saying, all right, well, I'll do the stuff that I used to do 15 years ago, just because you're offering money and you know I need the money, that doesn't fit with a sense of integrity about the value that I can add. And also, actually, even though they're only paying me, let's say, 200 quid a day to do a social media manager job, there are better social media managers out there. So it's better for them, better for the social media managers and better for me, for me to say thank you, but no thank you. That takes some doing, but yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> but no, but oh, it's great. There, there, have been, there have been evenings where I've just thought, oh Jesus, why did I say no to that? I could really do with the money right now. And actually within, within that sort of thing that we've just been talking about is the fact that over the years in that 15 year window, you have gone from being somebody going in for two weeks for free to being described on this podcast as a freelance strategy consultant. And clearly that's kind of what you're getting at, is the fact that you don't want to devalue what you've built up. How did you start to become the freelance strategy consultant? At what point did it, you become a consultant? Like, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I hear, I hear you. When did I... you spin around and the cape was suddenly on? <laughs> oh, that's an image. I'm, I'm going to have to buy myself a cape now. We all need one. We do, we do. Although I, do, I don't want to put the pants on the the pants on the outside of my trousers. Anyway, so I think it was around about it was when I finished my permalance gig because I had essentially moved up the echelons in that agency. I had I'd started as a super senior planner, moved to planning director, global planning director, and then global head of digital marketing, and kind of putting all of those things together in terms of a reputational perspective and also an experience perspective and the kinds of conversations I wanted to have. So to use a little bit of industry jargon, I wanted to have more upstream conversations, so conversations with more senior people, like earlier in the whole process between rather than having a conversation, this is the brand, this is the campaign, and I'd like you to execute it like this. I wanted to be having more conversations around, well, why are we having a campaign? And how does that map to the brand? And is the brand actually there telling the right story? I wanted to be having more of those interesting conversations because that's what I was, those are the kinds of conversations I was having when I was permalant. So I looked around the, the space to find the kind of positioning language that people were using and what really fit for me that gave me both the, the stature and the positioning, but also a bit more of scope uh, was strategy consultant. 
when we were figuring out, like before we started chatting, before what everybody else heard, backstage, as it were, we were discussing what to call you. And it was interesting because you said, well, actually, it kind of depends who I'm talking to. This is true. So I think there's, there's, while there is this kind of umbrella term of strategy consultant, I think dependent on the kinds of people with whom you speak, that means different things to different people. And the word consultant actually means different things to different people. So in certain parts of the US, consultant means a super lowly person. Whereas in other parts of the US or the UK or most of Europe, you say consultant, and dependent on how you frame that, they will see the years of experience that you've done and they'll see you as a super high, high-end person. Similarly, like the word executive can mean like a junior person or it can mean in the boardroom. One has to be really kept one. God, I went very high, high caliber there. <laughs> I have to be really careful and others in this industry have to be really careful about the language that they use to, to describe themselves. And it's like I would say to any brand or business with whom I was working, your positioning is really important. How you talk about yourself, how you frame yourself in comparison to your competition, but also in terms of putting the message across of who or what you are is really important. So that's kind of the same for all of us. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same for all of us. It's really freaking important. Now, you came out of the permalance thing, uh, and that was like three years ago or so. And suddenly you're the freelance, well, not suddenly, but you're now the freelance strategy consultant. How how do you continue to market yourself? Because everything seems to be relationships, phoning people up, talking to people. Like, is that all you do as an all in quotation marks? But as in, there's no blogging or YouTube videos or speaking or like, is a, I wrote a book or, you know, the million things that I've heard before. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really fascinating for me. So when I left my permalance gig, I had about six months between that and a gig. Part of that was around me taking some time off and refreshing my mind. So I took three months off just to be like, oh, okay, now what do I do? And went on a couple of holidays, blah, blah, blah. And started reading this book called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And something in that book really resonated with me. I'd been doing quite a lot of social strategies and digital integrated strategies and talking about how to use social media to build your brand, blah, 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 blah. And this book was really counter that, this idea of, yes, there is value in it, but how much value for how much energy and input? So after reading that book, I came off all social media other than other than LinkedIn, which I decided was business media rather than social media. And that kind of removed any of those types of opportunities, essentially. It was a calculated decision because I wanted to get into more, as he would call it, deep work. So the work that actually creates more value. And I know that's a very charged term considering the fact you and I are on a podcast that's going to be um, shared on the interwebs via socials and ting. Yeah, but not by you, apparently. No, not by me. I'm not going to help you in any promotion. <laughs> God, no. Not on social. I will talk to my friends and, and network around the fact that I am, you know, I've been interviewed for the awesome podcast by this awesome dude. But for me, and, spent, and my personality as well, I decided that I wanted to create deeper, more meaningful relationships. And at that time, social felt so far away from that it was very broadcasty not really much in the way of a value exchange and while there was a scale opportunity there was a link there was i felt a little bit inauthentic in that space and it was more about the highlights of one's life rather than the reality of life and you can't really get into a really deep awesome conversation on facebook for instance that being said now that i've spent a few years kind of 
as this strategy consultant and I'm repositioning myself in that way, I've actually recently come up with an idea that I want to launch totally separate to the business that I do. And that's going to include writing a book and setting up a YouTube channel to support that. So I'm now, not that I've come full circle, I think I just need to be smart around how I do that. So you came off Twitter or Instagram or whatever, but you focused... I was on all of them. I was on all of them. Snapchat? Yep. I was on Snap. I was on Pinterest, Instagram, uh, Facebook, um, Twitch. I was on basically all of them so that I could understand them and talk about them with clients. Uh, Of course. So you then strip it down to LinkedIn. Does that Uh mean that you then focused a lot of activity on LinkedIn? I focus, but and this is the thing that I've learned over the last few years. So I just recently over Christmas read this great book called Fanatical Prospecting by uh, Jeb Blunt. Jeb Blunt? Yeah, Jeb Blunt. And although it's very American and very, very sales oriented, there's a really good kind of three key things in there. And the primary one is around consistency. And I think what I've noticed about myself over the last 18 months or so is that I do a furious amount of work for a little bit. And then I take my foot off the gas and then I do a furious amount of work for a little bit and then I take my foot off the gas. And I need to be reminded of that 10 month period where I spent half an hour a day or an hour a day doing one thing and then did the rest of my day in a different way. So it's, I think I have a tendency to dip into LinkedIn, throw something out and expect an immediate result. Whereas actually the, where I've got the best value and most value is by building relationships through LinkedIn over time. But, you know, sending LinkedIn mails and then moving on to email and then having a conversation and meeting in real life and actually building a proper relationship. So I think that the kind of the constant conflict that I have is around how do I get scale and depth? And I think that's the real challenge. And so you're building a relationship online. At some point, then you're saying you you would reach out to somebody and say, hey, blah, blah, blah. How about we meet up? Absolutely. For me, it's all about face-to-face, handshaky stuff. While quite a lot of my business is conducted internationally and we do conversations via digital means, you know, like Gmeets or Skypes or Zooms or FaceTimes or WhatsApp videos or, you know, all the, the, the kind of the plethora of tools that are out there to support that. My personality, I really get more value out of in-person, face-to-face. Now, we met in-person, face-to-face the, the first time. And I remember sitting down and you telling me that you were from the Hoxby Collective. Uh-huh. Now, you're still freelance, so tell me what the Hoxby Collective is. Oh, look at you. You, 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 should, you should do podcasting and interviews and stuff for a living. <laughs> it's like Parky, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I love it. You really are like Parky, actually. It's brilliant. So the Hogsby Collective is essentially a network, a, a, a community of freelance associates dispersed across the world. So we are about, we're just short of 500 people now across 29 countries. And we come together in a, a swarm methodology. That's the, uh, the technical parlance, which basically means you just bring some people together to deliver the work that needs to be done based on their skill set, their availability, and their work style. One of the big things that we at Hoxby talk about is work style, making sure that work fits around your life, not the other way around. And we've been going for about three years now, and I've been a partner for two. We essentially want to create the opportunity for people to work anywhere in the world without any kind of bias. So you don't have to be 
present in the office from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. to make sure that you keep your job. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you have kids or not, or you know whether you're single or not. It, none of that really matters as so long as you can deliver the output required by the time needed within budget. That's it. Just to make sure I'm understanding it right, it's kind of like a an agency, like it's like the A team. Like you put together a team of people, freelancers, for specific jobs, kind of like an agency would, but there is no agency. Yeah, more or less, more or less. So I, th- I think people struggle. So there's there's a massive shift in the way that organisations are looking to leverage outsourced talent right now. Uh, and what I mean by that is. A lot of big business and a lot of small business look at the agency model and realize that it's broken. You're paying for swanky offices and you know beer at 4 p.m. and awesome pool tables and away days and all of that kind of stuff. That's all baked into the price that you pay. And most of the time, you'll get a you'll be told in the pitch that you'll have the senior support and the big guns will go into the pitch. And then when they leave the pitch the people that have been in the business for about six months that have got another 15 clients already get given this other client and you're paying top dollar for low-end output um, just to make the business model of the agency work. Whereas where where we come from is very much along the lines of, well, we don't have a base of operations, a physical space, so you're not paying for a rent and you're not paying for a swanky office. You pay for the skills and the time that you need to deliver what you're after. And we will build a bespoke team to deliver that. So if you need half a day of someone super senior to come in and help you set your objectives and KPIs and general strategic focus, but then you need 100 days of people on the ground to make it come to life, that's what we'll build and that's what we'll charge you for. And so who is pitching for the work? We all take group responsibility for that. So we don't have any business function. We don't have a sales team. We don't have a a marketing team per se. Uh, We set up incentives within the collective so that there is group responsibility for everything. And what that means, you know, one of our big plays and um, key values is give, get, and better together. Those are our two kind of primary uh, values, I would say. What that means is that we all work together to create something for each other, like a proper community would. But you described yourself, picked up on the word somewhere in there, as a partner. Yes, I'm a partner. So I bought, I have bought into the business. There are 12 partners out of the 500 people in the organization community. And the other 488-ish are part of the community. They just have not bought into, i.e. given cash for a financial stake in the business. The partners act as a means of really bringing the culture and values of the community to life in everything that we do. And we're, we're still the same as everyone else in as much as we work the same way, we, um, we share the work the same way, we drive the business the same way. It's just that we've bought into the business, that's it. Yeah, so it's like with that kind of scenario for collective, you'd need somebody or a group of people to make sure it's moving forward and everything's working. Someone has to kind of lead that. Well, ultimately, the two people that make the, the, the kind of the, the primary business decisions are Al and Lizzie, the, the, the two co-founders. But what we want to create is a self-sustaining uh, and kind of self-driving model whereby we don't need two people or 10 people or 20 people to make the decisions. We're very much around the, the, the concept of ask for forgiveness, not permission. If you think it's going to add value and 
we trust you to understand what the community is about because we've gone through a rigorous five-phase process to, to bring you into the community. We trust you. So if you want to do something, do it. Yeah, we'll, we'll put links, of course, as everything that our guests are up to as ever at beingfreelance.com so you can find out more about it. One thing that you mentioned, though, was like work style being important. And you said earlier about well-being and things. So, yeah, what, what does your week look like? What, what is work style to you? Work style to me varies dependent on what season uh, I'm in and where I'm at in terms of my energy levels or my focus points. So that's a, a kind of a... a a florid way of saying it's flexible. <laughs> yeah, I, I should know, like in meetings, like with clients, I'm very good at being concise and to the point. And then, you know, put me in front of a microphone for this kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> how can I say one word in 50? Anyway, I'm flexible. How I set it up with Hoxby is for Hoxby specific work. I am available Tuesday through Thursday, 10 a.m. till uh, 10 a.m. till 8 p.m. And outside of that, I may dip in or not, but you can't guarantee me being there. What that then means is that I have the other four days and hours to do what I want to do, whether that be with additional clients or building up my own ideas, projects and business myself. Nice. And do you work from home? I work from home. I also uh, work from co-working spaces occasionally, um, you know, from nice bars occasionally, from restaurants occasionally, from wherever wherever is going to work. So if I need to hunker down and get something done, I will generally work from home with the windows closed, the doors closed, music blaring, and just go. If I want something a little bit more, I don't know, creative or different, I will, I will find somewhere else. And if it's, if it's with I'm building a relationship or walking through something with a client, then I'll pick somewhere informal that we feel relaxed and we can go through stuff. Mm. And you, you mentioned side projects earlier as well. What do you have on the boil? Oh, mate, too many things. The big thing for me this year is a project that I'm working on around authentic conscious masculinity. Wow. That's quite different from, oh, yeah, I go salsa dancing. (laughs) No, in all seriousness, that feels at least like that's not related to your work. Let's put it that way. That's not like a side project. Oh, it is. Yes and no. I think it depends on how you look at it, right? So I think the work that I've been doing for the last 15, 20 years from a marketing strategy perspective gives me an understanding of what I need to do to bring this to the world as in most impactful way. But the concept itself is not necessarily directly linked to the advertising marketing world, other than the fact that working in the way that I've worked across the clients that I've worked across the countries that I've worked, I see so many quite cliched almost lazy descriptions of, well, this is this is a, uh, basically the segment we're aiming for is women, so we'll make it pink and we'll talk about fluffy stuff. And the segment we're aiming for is men, so we'll throw in some sports um, analogies and, and we'll be fine. I mean, that's a massive generalization, but you look at the... You look at the pictorial stuff that is out there. So people like American Apparel sexualizing women to, to sell their goods. You know, the suit company, again, is another company that uses quite risque imagery to, to sell suits, right? So it's like, what are we doing to ourselves and to society? And as a, as a marketer and advertiser and someone who is responsible for the strategic direction, which impacts massively on the creative output, how can I sit on the sideline and let this continue? What kind of a man would I be if I just ignored it all? Crikey. Now, <laughs> <laughs> since moving, so, you know, three years or 
two years with Hoxby Collective. Has that made a difference to the way you work and the pattern of your work, you know, where you used to have months, gaps and things? Has that changed? It has. It's not eradicated because there is always a level of uncertainty or risk or unknown in freelance work. Well, in life itself, right? But And especially in, in freelance work. So there's no... Not that I found. I, I haven't found the perfect mix that allows me to work when I want and take time off when I want and do it exactly the way that I want to with total security and certainty as to how it's going to play. However, given the 15, 12 years we said, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, 12 years experience I have of freelance work, I am much more comfortable and confident of saying, you know what, I'm going to take a month off and I'm going to do something totally different. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time while I'm off just reminding people that I'm here. And what I did really well last year, actually, I took some time off. I let people know that I was off beforehand and I actually got myself a gig ready for when I got back. So we're all making it up as we go along. And there are, there are times when I'm really on top of it and times when I'm not. But, you know, this idea of having a 9, 10, 12-month period without work is is not necessarily history, but it's certainly something that's going to be less likely. Hmm. And Swarm as well. What does – I'm presuming that stands for something. No, it's, it's Swarm. So you come together as a Swarm and oh. then you dissipate. It's, it's you know, it's someone's, someone somewhere came up with a, a kind of a semi-interesting word to describe something quite boring, which is basically – you bring, it's not boring, it's really, operationally is quite boring, but the impact is quite exciting. So you bring people together for a specific period for a specific project, and they work together. And then when that project is over, they don't need to stay together, they can dissipate and do something else. Mm. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself. Make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. I know you're hesitant and reluctant to do this, as we can tell. But nevertheless, what have you got for me, Anne? So, uh, you know, I know you want to keep these nice and succinct. So, here we go. I once called Paul Weller Peter when I interviewed him. I once DJed at a private party naked. I once received an award in person from Princess Anne. Wow. I, I, I wish at least two of these were combined. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. You... What was the award that you got from Princess Anne? So I was the County Cadet of the Year for St. John Ambulance. So I was the Greater Manchester County Cadet of the Year. Paul Weller? What, how come you were interviewing Paul Weller? So I used to, I used to do student radio, and I ran a music show, um, a weekly show that did quite a lot of kind of interesting stuff. We inter- I interviewed Danny Minogue, Youssef, some, some kind of really niche people, some genre-specific people, and a couple of big people. And um, I'm a massive fan of Paul Weller. And I was so starstruck that I called him Peter. What happened? He actually took it in his stride, and he just gave me a look and then a little cheeky smile. And I obviously practically shat myself. <laughs> And then we continued. And I found out later that that is not normal. So he's normally very dismissive around those kinds of things. And he's, he, he gets bored in an interview very quickly. And if he doesn't like what you're doing, he'll just say, I think we're done. But, you know, we've got a decent, a decent segment. And you DJed naked. Yes. It wasn't like I was the only one naked. I'm not sure that makes it better, but go on. <laughs> 
Because now I'm imagining the whole audience uh, dancing naked. More or less. Oh my more God. or less. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a fetish-themed private party. <laughs> so did they book you as a DJ and then, like, bring that up in, like, at what point was... So it's, it's through some mates of mine and, you know, they said, we're looking for a DJ for this fetish-themed party. We can't really find anyone. We don't really know the scene, although we like the idea of it. We've seen the images. We want to do this party. Would you do it? I was like, hell yeah. Why not? Okay, but I suppose most of the time you were hidden behind the decks. Um, yeah, although it was on a kind of one of these trestle tables, so you could see underneath. Right. Okay, and we did that whole thing without references to 7 and 12 inches, so that is good. (laughs) Honestly, these are all believable. These are all utterly believable. Oh, I don't know. You never called Paul Weller Peter. Oh, no. Ah! I didn't DJ naked. Oh no! I re I da. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> so disappointed. I am as well. I wrote it. I was like, God, I wish I had. <laughs> I wish I'd even been to a fetish party. Well, excellent. Well, well done. You totally got me. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? See, I was thinking about this. I don't think it's one thing. It's a, it's a sentence, I think, or something along those lines, or at least a, a, an adage. So get organized, build decent and expansive relationships, and buckle in. <laughs> nice. I'm sure one of those at least can be the title of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking fetish party. Party, right? <laughs> yes. The SEO Google bots are going to get very confused. Yeah, and thank you so much. Uh, go to beingfreelance.com and there will be links through to what Jan is up to. Like he said, he's barely on social, but I'm sure you'll track him down somehow. So go and do that. Uh, if you need a naked DJ, it sounds like he's up for that too. And of course, you can find out more about the Hoxby Collective to boot. Uh, we'll also put links to the books that Jan was chatting about as well. Uh, while you're there, sign up for the newsletter go on be a love uh, there's also the vlog where i document my my freelance week like what i get up to and for that matter if you go back to episode hmm what would it be probably episode 75 you will see me and yan at the event that we were both speaking at which is how we met so um <laughs> like cuddled up on that tiny little sofa that they put us on uh, so you can go and uh, yeah go, go and watch that as well so episode 75 of the being freelance vlog yan uh, makes a special cameo oh and of course do me a favor share this with the world uh, go go tell as many people as you can oh and actually don't forget the facebook group it's so new that i forget that it exists go Go and join the Facebook group as well. And obviously not Yang because he's off Facebook, but everybody else who hasn't deserted it yet. Uh, yeah, go. And it would be lovely to see you so that we're not just, you know, being freelance, but we're being together in the group as well. So come and join us and say hi there. But for now, Yang, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you very much, mate. It's been my absolute pleasure. 